Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, this is Nancy. Welcome to Aging Life, the show about all things aging. Are you a guardian or conservator for an incapacitated adult? Or does what you are reading or hearing in the Britney Spears case concern you? I was introduced to the professional world of guardianship and conservatorship when it first began in the late 90s and the late 80s and began working directly as both a corporate guardian and conservator a decade later. As a nationally certified master's level guardian, I've had a front row seat to the growth of the industry and have watched as the system meant to protect incapacitated adults has increasingly come under attack as a result of the abuses by some individual bad actors as well as um, some issues in the legal system. The many reforms now underway are a positive result of pushback by advocates, and in my view, a natural part of the maturing of an industry that continues to be needed. There is a reason the need for third party, there is a a reason and a need for third party corporate guardians and conservators that were developed in the first place. Now is not the time, in my opinion, to overreact to the media attention of cases like Britney Spears. While on the surface, it appears the basic standards of practice were not followed in her case, it's hard to make a full judgment without knowing all the information. But we're going to talk about that case a little bit today, as well as um, the documentary, Framing Britney, as well as the film, I Care A Lot. But, you know, it's hard to make a full judgment without knowing all the information. Um, But, you know, these media um, sources do uh, underscore the need for continued monitoring in this industry and regulation in an industry that um, will continue in the future. So um, this first segment, I want to talk myself about... um, you know, I want to add a little bit of perspective before we get into some of the things that uh, the media has focused so heavily on concerning Britney and the film I Care A Lot. Um, I find myself these days responding to a lot of questions about the work I've been engaged in for more than 20 years. There's um, suspicion, um, there's worry, when families go and see attorneys and um, the attorneys who are um, somewhat reluctant to these days suggest third-party corporate folks, unless it's absolutely necessary, they will try to keep it in the family. And, and uh, you know, I'm not saying that's not appropriate, But um, in the cases where it may be appropriate to take it outside of the family, um, those family members who come in are more concerned than 
even than they have been in the past because of all that's going on in the media. And so I thought it might be important here today to offer some other perspectives on the work being done in the world of conservatorships and guardianships. Um, you know, just just for some background, this is an industry that came into being in 1989. Uh, formally, that was the introduction, uh, uh, that was the start of the National Guardianship Association. There were folks beginning to do the work or who were doing the work prior to that, but that's when it formally came into being. In 1988, there was a conference first national conference in Chicago. There were 200 people there, and um, they formed the National Association. And within two years, the Model Code of Ethics was the first um, product, work product, that came out of that uh, association. And then soon after, they developed, began to develop standards of practice, which at the time were seven standards, and today there are 25, more than 25 standards of practice. Um, the first certification didn't occur until 1996. Now, to put this in perspective, in the late 80s, you know, we were, um, I mean, it's a similar thing as the, um, I got certified as a financial planner in 1988. Nobody knew what a financial planner was then. People were using cell phones that were as big as a house, um, you know, um, technology was at a very young stage. Um, this is, by all accounts, if you look at professions such as certified public accountants or the legal profession, um, who at one time you didn't go to law school, you just read legal books and sat for the bar. Uh, when you look at some of those professions, they are much more mature and older. Um, but, but looking at the financial planning group, which was about, it's about a similar age. Um, you know, I still get newsletters every week where I read about financial advisors who have been, um, kicked out of the profession and, and, um, because they've embezzled from clients yet you don't see big media hype and you don't see, people concerned about going to financial advisors or trashing all financial advisors. And so, um, you know, I guess my concern is we don't want to throw out that bathwater. Um, this is an industry that is really needed. Why is it needed? Well, let me talk about why it's needed, you know, um, or why it's grown. Um, if you listen to the media, if you watch all the films, you would think, well, it's grown because there's so much money. in it. Well, I can tell you for the guardians and conservators, I mean, it's a, it's a living, it's a decent profession, but um, the only people I know of that have gotten rich doing it are now in prison. And, you know, there are, there are, a, there are bad actors. There are bad doctors. There are bad cops. There are bad guardians and conservators. There are bad financial advisors. And all of those people need to not be doing, uh, working with the public and um, exploiting patients and um, clients and citizens of the U.S. So just so you know, I am of that opinion. But... Um, Here's the thing, we've got, you know, 10,000 people turning age 65 every day, 
That's been happening for 10 years, and it's going to happen for another nine years. And a lot of those folks, as you get older, we've also got people living longer, um, age 95, fastest growing population group in the U.S., over 100, very fast growing population. And more than 50% of those folks will develop some form of dementia. Um, So, you know, the guardian conservative world was developed in order to protect older adults and disabled adults from um, elder abuse and from abuse and neglect. So how many older Americans are abused? Well, today, one in 10 over the age of 60 um, are the victims of some form of abuse, neglect, or exploitation. As many as 5 million a year are reported, and they say only 1 in 24 cases are reported. Or maybe they believe as many as 5 million a year. 60% of the perpetrators is a family member. Now, when I started researching this work in the mid-90s, looking at this work uh, when I was in graduate school, we were quoting 38% of the perpetrators as family members. It's grown to more than 60%. And nearly half of those with dementia, it's reported, experience some form of abuse or neglect. So, you know, I can give you examples of folks who um, who I've worked with over the years who have needed um, a guardian or conservator. Um, you know, aside from family members uh, perpetrating, we often see um, the handyman, um, the helper, the caregiver, and in many instances, we also see self-neglect. So, you know, as a person ages and they have no family, no children, no spouse, um, and they develop a dementia, they, um, I had one client, her husband had died. She hadn't left her home in seven years. Her neighbors brought over groceries. She um, probably hadn't had a bath or a shower in that amount of time. Her hair was terribly matted. She was an extraordinary self-neglect case. And in one instance, when um, an ambulance was called, and uh, after I met her, but I didn't get there to the house in time, she told the ambulance she was fine and didn't need to go anywhere. And so they left. And this woman really um, did not look well. Um, you know, I've worked with artists who were totally competent and who became hoarders and lived in horrible, horrible um, hoarder situations. Actually, I've, I've worked with many uh, men and women who have become hoarders over time. Um, one very um, difficult um to see case was a handyman who got a woman to sign over her house and he moved the woman into the back room of the house, moved his family into the master and began to, um, you know, have full use of her checking account and her social security checks and her, even her um, distributions from a trust, a family trust. And so, um, 
And in that case, we were able to intimidate the guy into signing the house back over. But, um, you know, we had to threaten legal action in order for him to do it. And his wife worked at the local psychiatric hospital. So, you know, um, that's how this woman, I think, was targeted. So, you know, in 1989, um, this was uh, this area of practice was developed um, over the years. There have been um, practice standards. There is a national certification. There is a national association called the National Guardianship Association, which will provide you with most information that you'd be looking for. And um, there is a Center for Guardianship Certification. I can tell you I can't speak for all states, um, but in many states, um, these folks are not paid without court approval. They, um, they are um, monitored pretty heavily. Um, there are reforms that are occurring because of recent um, folks that have been caught doing uh, bad things, mostly embezzling funds from clients. Um, for those of us who have been advocating for 20 years for uh, uniform certification, regulation, and monitoring, those are, I'm speaking of lawyers and um, guardians and conservators in the industry, we were met with, um, you know, legislators and officials who um, like so much within the um, within the world of seniors they you know they didn't want to fund all of that monitoring regulation uh, the courts um, all of that takes money and staff and so we were met with there's no funding. And I think that um, things had to get to where they are in order for all of those institutions to start putting their capital and their um, energies behind understanding that this is your mom that's going to get um abused, neglect, or exploited by someone. And let, let me also say that the industry grew, I, I'm imagining a pendulum, the industry grew out of a growing understanding that um, many family members were, um, not many, but there were family members that were bad actors. And other members of the family would come in and make allegations. And when the courts and the lawyers and the social workers saw the conflict within the family, they determined that it was best to have a third party to potentially reduce the conflict uh, among the family members. What I can tell you, there are a few cases where uh, the family members suddenly understood we got to get our act together or, you know, we're never going to have any control. Um, and some do and some have. But in many cases, um, they 
they never get over those old rifts and those old conflicts and the disagreements about how to um, how to care for mom. And, um, and so a third party also remains in place. Unfortunately, because of the cost of having a third party, members of the, there are parties in those families who get very upset that A, they've lost control, B, their inheritance is being spent, essentially. And, um, you know, they, I mean, they may also just be upset that mom's money is being spent. But the, the bottom line is they become very angry with the guardian or conservator. And I have seen enough of those instances where I do believe that some of the hype and some of what happened, uh, what has happened in the media, because the media loves this negative attention, and what has happened on the film, I care a lot. I, I think um, I, I'm imagining the guy who put that together didn't do it alone and had some of those disgruntled family members um, assisting with their uh, exaggerated plot line. Uh, that's all I, you know, that's how I would define it um, as an exaggerated plot line. I have never in my um, experience heard of or seen a doctor um, participating in a scam such as the one I care a lot is offering. Um, I've never um you know i can't speak for um the the flippant attitude of some guardians or conservators but the people that i have met and there are hundreds and hundreds of them um they're in it because they want to help people and um you know and that is what drives them uh it's, it's not about getting rich. Uh, one could run a home care agency and, and probably do much better. Um, so I, you know, my concern is that you um, understand that like any industry, there's going to be a period um, of growth, um, unregulated growth, uh, where industry insiders are attempting to develop regulations, certainly the certification, all of that is very mature. But, you know, having statewide ethics groups who evaluate or monitor, um, you know, I think there's been problems with people not being able to find a place to content, to complain and feeling heard. And I do think that... Um, the industry got a little insular, and I think it is uh, very welcome that uh, folks are starting to look over people's shoulders and and that there's money for staff to do such things. So that's my thought on that for today. Um, I am going to take a break, and when I come back, I have a, a young man joining me, a guest who... Um, has seen all of these documentaries and um, and has questions and concerns and uh, as you probably do. So I've invited him to join me on the show today that is coming to you live from uh, a beautiful lake in New Hampshire where I got to 
sneak away for a little bit from my office. And so if you hear the birds chirping, um, you'll know why. Okay, so we'll be right back. I'll be back with Henry Thomas in about 90 seconds. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. You're here with uh, Nancy at Aging Life, and I am happy to have my guest, Henry Thomas, who is a friend and he uh, a young friend and he's been he has seen all the films and given what's going on currently with Brittany he had a lot of questions and I said why don't you come on the show ask me your questions we can talk about it because I'm sure other people have similar questions so Henry thanks for having me Nancy I'm excited to be here thank you thanks for being here um so um this all of this has been pretty disturbing for you absolutely both of these movies while one is a drama i care a lot the britney documentary was very concerning to me and it seems to me that for 12 years britney has been denied basic human rights under a legal tool reserved for incapacitated individuals that and she generates millions of dollars of revenue for her team and i guess i have a couple questions for you surrounding both of these movies and my concerns with them like, how could Brittany be fit enough to work, but not fit enough to be in charge of her own money? How could she go on a tour across Europe, but not get to reap the financial benefits of that all by herself? I think that's a great question. And so, um, so here's the thing. Um, conservatorship, it's, it's not just about uh, managing someone's money, because you can manage money under a lot of different forms. It's about making decisions around finances, contracts, etc. And so, um, you know, I don't know all the facts in the Britney matter, but I can tell you that 
people can, um, and, and you know, she's under what California calls conservatorship of the person as well. But but um, in general, people can manage their own personal life and make decisions about work and where they live and their friends and and all of that, but still have some impairment around finances. Now, Brittany presents pretty well in, you know, in my opinion, but we often, um, we often find that some people do present pretty well, but generally those are people that are older than have vascular related dementias. In Brittany's case, you know, it is, many people would probably define her case as a mental health case. And those get real tricky. And, um, but again, the ability to work is different than the ability to make decisions around your finances. And in her case, I think I read something where there was concern about undue influence and that it was determined early on that she had a high susceptibility to undue influence. All of that is probably being reevaluated as we speak. But I think being susceptible to undue influence is different than being able to go out and perform on a stage. I guess that leads nicely into my next question about uh, with the undue influence. In the documentary, uh, they depict uh, a woman that was Brittany's personal assistant, Felicia, I might, might butcher her name, Colada, Felicia Colada, and um, the boyfriend of Brittany that were both cut out of um, her life when she was a ward. Also in I Care A Lot, the uh, the ward has all of her, the people she's able to make contact with restricted. Like they take away her cell phone, they put her into a locked facility. Do things like that actually happen in real life? And what would be the reasons for cutting people out of a ward's life? Mm, another really good question. So, um, you know, if you look at the standards of practice, and not everybody follows the standards of practice, of course, but this is why I talked about this being a maturing industry. But if you look at that, you know, isolating someone, um, confining them is a form of abuse. And so in the, in the world of cutting people out, so, so does it ever happen that somebody's locked up in a nursing home and can't leave? Um, yes, I've seen it. I've gone into cases where um, I've worked at undoing those things because um, in the situation I was in, it was family members. You know, they, they just didn't know any better. They thought they were, quote, protecting the individual. Uh, because it gets very complex when you've got uh, individuals that are resisting assistance. Now, there are two types of decisions uh, in the world of guardianship that we professionals follow. One is called substituted judgment, and the other is called best interest. You hear a lot about best interest in the world of Britney Spears, but the absolute fact of the matter is our duty is to, to make decisions based on what that person either wants currently or would have made in the past when they had the ability 
to, to say what they wanted, you know, and other people know who they are and what they might have wanted. It's our duty to do that unless doing so would cause them substantial harm. Now, then you got to define substantial harm, but it's got to be compelling before you then flip to the other concept of best interest. So, let's say somebody says, I'm, I'm going to go out and fly my airplane today. Well, they haven't flown their airplane in 10 years. Their license has been revoked. We know that's going to be really harmful. We will do everything we can to keep them from flying that airplane today um, because it's in their best interest not to do that. Okay. Um, but in terms of visitation of family and friends, um, I, I believe for a long time that we needed a way to determine those issues. And I will tell you what they've done in the state I live in. Um, you can no longer um, quote, bar a person from seeing a loved one if you're related to them, you, you can't bar them from seeing them for more than seven days without appearing before a judge and providing a compelling reason to do so. And if they're a non-blood relative, like the friend, Alicia, um, it can't be more than 30 days without appearing before a judge. That came from, and, and sadly, it was family advocates that had to change that rule that law because um, there were guardians who were um, dismissing family members rather easily. I mean, the other issue is we don't have a master's in guardianship programs in this country, okay? Um, the, the amount of training, they, they have gotten harder and harder it's gotten harder and harder to get certification. There are CE requirements before certification or academic requirements. But, um, you know, people weren't well trained, in my opinion, in family dynamics. So, for instance, a guardian would see a daughter yelling at her mother and would call that abusive and say, you can't see your mother anymore. Or, um, you know, mother-daughter have had this headbutting dynamic all their life and the guardian saying you can only talk about pleasant things. I get why the guardian's saying that. I also get how every now and then mother-daughter may erupt and yell at each other. It's an old dynamic. And so all of that is very nuanced. And it's why I tell my team all the time you better have a really good, compelling reason because I'm going to stand before a judge. And it should be that way everywhere. I'm not sure it is. Another question I have for you is, when you're standing before a judge, who pays for what? Does the conservator pay for um, the ward's expenses or does the ward pay for the conservator's expenses in uh, the courts? Mm. Well, I know this is a, a question on everybody's mind because the numbers being presented in the Britney Spears matter are um, pretty exorbitant. And so I would say, um, so putting Britney aside and all that craziness, um, the way the statutes are written in my state, the incapacitated adults 
where the protected person, you no longer call them wards, but, you know, the media might. Anyway, um, that person's estate does pay for the expenses related to the guardianship or conservatorship. So the professional fees, the legal fees. Now, if a conservator or guardian hires an attorney um, to represent them to file a motion in court, or they're being questioned um, by a guardian at litem, um, and they may hire an attorney to represent them as guardian or conservator for that person, those fees are covered. Now, if Brittany were to sue her father, um, I'm not sure, you know, personally, I'm not sure that he could um, have those fees covered. That would be an interesting question uh, for the attorneys, but, um, and I don't know what the rules are in California around who pays for what, but generally the estate of the person pays for all of the fees, certainly of the professionals involved. Speaking more on legal terms, um, in the movie, I care a lot, the mom, mom of the mob boss who is eventually deemed incapacitated um, in the courts isn't actually present in the court on the day that she is deemed incapacitated. Would that situation ever occur in real life? Would there be a time when a, a person would, you know, um, a, a lawyer could go individually to a court and petition for this and the person might not be informed until after the hearing mm -hmm. is already made against them? Man, you're hitting all the good ones. Um, you know, uh, and that, that has been at the pivot point of so much upset by families that their loved one um, or they themselves were never present. And so typically, if there's an emergency temporary guardianship or conservatorship filed, certainly in my state, and I'm assuming in many other states, the individual does not have to be present. I will also say, and that's because it's on an emergency basis. Now, in the old days, um, in, you know, prior to recent years, um, the judge sometimes, based on the emergency, the judge sometimes would sign an order that day. Um, an attorney would potentially hand deliver or someone would hand deliver the petition, the judge would sign it that day, the guardian or conservator would step in, it could be, um, and it, you know, if it's a good judge, and most of them are, it would have to be very, very compelling. So a surgery needs to be approved of right away. Um, a um, a person is living in severe neglect and um, action needs to be taken right away or someone is uh, depleting their, um, their estate and um, things need to be frozen quickly. So uh, in those instances, and then there would be uh, within 60 days, um, within 60 days there would be a hearing for a permanent guardianship or conservatorship. So during that period, I once heard a judge said, say in the middle of a, you know, 10, 10 sibling family, this is a time for all of you to go to your corners and everybody stop what they're doing 
let the guardian or conservator make sure. And what I would tell my team is the only thing we do in those first 60 days is we read the order, we read the petition, and we determine what they need protection from right away. We, you don't move them. You don't change their bank accounts. There's a lot of things you don't do until the courts go through the process of investigation and then at the permanent hearing determine uh, a, a permanent solution. And at that point, then things you know, can be done differently. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of the permanence of these conservatorships, um, can an incapacitated individual petition to be released from guardianship? How likely is it? And how could they even do this if they were in a lockdown facility as, or like in the Brittany situation where if, if she's being restricted on who she can contact, then how, how would she be able to advocate for herself in that way? Well, one more part. If yeah. Brittany needed to call anyone, who should she call? You know, um, I, I agree with you. If she were being um, confined and um, kept from being able to communicate with people, uh, it would be hard for her to call someone. But um, And often people will say, well, I didn't think I could hire my own attorney because um, I didn't know how I would pay for it, you know. And again, I go back to the standards of practice. Um, people and, and many of the statutes in many of the states, a protected person has the right to hire their own lawyer. Even if the court has appointed like this Ingram fellow and Britney Spears, he doesn't have to resign um, if he's been appointed as a guardian ad litem. Um, she still could have her own attorney in addition to him. But, um, and the conservator, in my opinion, is compelled to pay for it. They, they should pay for it. So she has always had the right to hire her own attorney. She has always had the right to have that attorney petition the court to have um, her um, guardianship terminated. Um, you know, she could have, there are advocacy groups she might have found um, although, um, and there's a huge disparity between Ingram saying that she was told that she could petition the court and terminate and her saying that she was asking for it and he wasn't doing it. In my opinion, if she was asking for it, he should have been doing it. Under the standards of practice, we as guardian and conservators are also now um, well, under I think under my local statutes, I'm compelled to report to the court if I think um, someone um, needs to have something terminated. Well, it's been very illuminating, and I thank you for having me on the show. Um, it's very shocking industry in some ways, but it's very needed in other ways too. Yes, and, and so I think my, um, my thing is I, I am glad that Britney Spears is doing what she's doing. I think it needs to be reviewed. I do think I have told families who are thinking about going down the road of petitioning for Guardian Conservator that they should um, really consider um, the alternatives. There are many alternatives to conservatorship. There are trusts powers of attorney, 
um, you know, in Brittany's case, she probably could name uh, a trustee and a financial power of attorney, and and that would take care of her um, needs. She certainly presents as someone who probably would understand what a financial power of attorney is. So I think um, um, this conversation for her should have happened a long time ago, and it shouldn't have shouldn't have gotten to this point for her. It may have been needed uh, initially, but um, I think it's gone way past its due date. And uh, I feel sorry for her, and I hope that she um, she gets some good representation in the future. Um, otherwise, I appreciate you doing this with me. It's, um, it is helpful to respond to questions, and your questions were very, very, uh, very good questions. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate being here, too. Yeah. So um, we're going to take another break. And when I come back, we'll just finish up this conversation. And I'll see you shortly. Be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, thanks for coming back. Kind of a disturbing conversation we're having today, but really one that's necessary. Um, I, um, I did want to say there were other, you know, very... Um, prominent inaccuracies in the film I Care A Lot. Um, you know, it, it appears that there was only, they talk about only one hearing and the woman wasn't at the hearing. Um, and I can tell you there would be at least two hearings, um, the uh, temporary emergency and then the permanent hearing. What I didn't add also is that these days out of 
you know, just the cultural shift we're seeing in the guardian world, um, more and more judges are setting up emergency hearings. They're not just signing orders on the day of. They're setting up hearings within within the week um, so that things can be presented and, and, and allow for an opportunity for the protected person to be at the hearing. Um, you know, most of these cases are pretty, um, well, they're, they're necessary. Um, in, in many cases, it's because the, um, the senior or the incapacitated adult never completed um, any legal documents when they were well enough to do so. Um, a healthcare power of attorney or a financial power of attorney. Um, and so, you know, what I would say is if you want to avoid finding yourself in a situation like this, make sure all of your legal documents are in place. Um, and then, of course, there are the instances where, um, you know, the person doesn't have anyone, and that is really terrible and sad and um, someone figures out that there is a problem or that there's exploitation going on. Uh, another is, um, and again, uh, the, the courts are needing to be funded well enough to be reviewing and monitoring. Um, I just heard about a woman who was in a facility um, and she was, you know, her long-term care insurance was paying for her facility, but within, you know, two years period of time, a family member was able to, um, under a conservatorship, was able to bleed, you know, more than a million dollars from the estate. And so, um, you know, whether it's a family member or a corporate third party um, these things need to be reviewed and monitored. And in I know in, in the state I'm in, in New Mexico, I believe all conservator reports are now going to the state auditor's office for review. And hopefully they have um, enough staff and competent staff to, um, to do an adequate review. Um, but, but it's good that they found some kind of solution. Um, and other alternatives to guardianship, um, you know, if, if you set up a trust, um, a trustee can act and, um, you know, uh, if it's a revocable trust, uh, people can, you know, we now have what we call trust protectors who will review and oversee the trusts. There's simply a lot. So what you do is you contact uh, or look online at the um, the national um, elder law um, folks. Every bar association, state bar association has an elder law section, or you can look at the national elder law um, association for um, local local folks in your state. Um, National Guardianship Association has a membership with uh, Directory Find a Guardian. Um, so those would be certified people. And um, yeah, um, talk with an attorney, see if there are alternatives. You know, uh, sadly, other cases are, you know, a person might have all their powers of attorney in place. But because of the nature of the dementia that they are experiencing, 
they don't have any insight, they don't believe they need help, and they resist and fight any sort of help. And so um, they might, you know, powers of attorney are voluntary and um, healthcare power of attorneys can be terminated verbally. So they may just say no, and I'm not going to do that, or I'm not going to accept that help. And so there are instances in where even though a power of attorney is in place, um, a family still has to go to a court to get some form of authority um, that will allow them to, um, you know, to make decisions for them and take care of their financial affairs. So remember, um, guardianship and conservatorship is, it's not just about managing affairs, it's about making decisions. That is the critical piece. Who's going to make those decisions for you? What kind of decisions are they going to make? I have many shows that I do here at Aging Life that talk about um, documenting your wishes, um, you know, getting your affairs in order and um, avoiding guardianship or conservatorship is a huge way to do that. Um, I would like to see more media attention on the, the good work that guardians and conservators do. We, of course, are bound um, by confidentiality um, requirements and standards to not talk about our specific clients. So we can't really go out there and speak um, about specific cases. I did give you some general cases, and I've been doing it long enough. I can pull them up from way long time ago and probably talk about those. But um, And I may be doing more of that because it really, um, the way things are being portrayed in the media really is doing a disservice, not only to the good people doing fine work, but my concern is that those who really need it are not going to get the help because people are afraid um, of the system. Um, I, you know, I will admit historically, I think, as I mentioned, it did become a little insular and is that a word? Anyway, and, um, and I and other, many lawyers I know have warned families that once that file, that petition is filed, sort of takes on a life of its own. And so, um, you know, people might say, well, you know, Brittany was just acting out. She was a young woman and she, you know, shaved her head and acted crazy because she was just angry and fed up. Uh, the problem was it was so um, public that, um, you know, it was perceived as uh, her having a breakdown when in fact, um, she was just having a public angry meltdown. I don't know. I don't know. I I wasn't there. And um, But even, you know, if you don't like the neuropsychological evaluation opinion, go get another neuropsychological evaluation. I mean, don't just let, you know, one individual um, or three individuals uh, make these determinations if you feel that you've been uh, wrongly um, characterized. So listen, um, I want to give a shout out to my sponsor, TrueLink Financial, who um, is, I believe, coming on board with um, some of their ads. 
on voiceamerica.com. So if you go to voiceamerica.com to listen to this show or listen on demand, you go there, you'll find all of my um, past shows, all of my 43 shows. Also, um, I do want to thank my friend Henry for joining me today. That was very nice of him. It's, it's really helpful to answer questions. And what I'd like to leave you with today is not all conservators are bad people, as portrayed in the medical I mean, in the media, um, the GNC industry is evolving. The bad actors will be weeded out, and uh, we will have uh, a much better um, ethics and monitoring system as a result. And so, um, yeah, and please Google the National Guardianship Association if this is a topic or if this is something you're engaged in or you're thinking about. And, um, and seek out an elder law attorney. They are the folks that are uh, most active in this area of work. Um, you can join me and my guests live each Wednesday or on demand at voiceamerica.com or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, if you are experiencing a moment of crisis, struggling with a loved one's dementia, or have questions you need answered, go to aginglifenetwork.com where you can talk with a life care professional who will offer you answers, step-by-step guidance, and support to assist you with your aging life journey. You can also email me directly at nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time here at Aging Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.